Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year this season. We are trekking through 1973, maybe the funkiest year we've ever done on this show. And this is just our second movie. It is The Sting. I'm your host, Greg. And before I introduce today's opponents, enemies, face-off contenders, I have to remind you, this is <laughs> this is a game show. And I will be awarding points. We are doing silent scoring. So you will not hear the points, but I will be silent scoring every time one of these two gentlemen... Can I call you gentle? Can I call you men? We'll see in just one second. First off, our first contestant, Mike. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing so good. I'm ready to flim the flams and gift the gabs. Gift the gabs. I love it. You have the gift of the gab, and you give everybody the gift of gab. I'm going to give away. The longer I talk, the more I lose my skill, and the more my face-off contenders win. (laughs) Our returning champion is Ryan. Ryan, you won last week on our Westworld show, a movie we decided was not the worst movie that we'd ever reviewed, but it was like very close to you're it. On, Do you feel good about that victory? Yeah, Westworld, you're on notice because you get any worse, man, you might be last place. Uh, of course, <laughs> I feel great about that victory, Greg. Uh, it was a win for uh, America because yes. I fought somebody who does not like uh, America. Uh, um, uh, and I think Westworld was about America. I just want... I. All of our listeners already know because they read the news that I am feeling a little bit sick. And yeah. Oh re- my goodness, you the reason, fucking yeah. hedge better. The reason I bring <laughs> that up is it's like the classic uh, kicking a baby scenario. Um, if Mike wins, then oh, he beat a sick person. And if I win, that makes Mike a total piece of shit who couldn't even beat a sick person. That is very true. Seems like a, a no-win situation for you, Mike. Do you agree? Yeah, it looks like once again, I'm fighting America. <laughs> the new hegemony. That's one of those words I've only read. Should have tried that <laughs> on off air. <laughs> it's when you find cash underneath a bush. Yes. Oh, man. It's also my Remember bank. how when you were a kid, you just find a big box of cash in the woods? And you were like, why isn't this porn? <laughs> those days are over. <laughs> I want oh, to do anything for this to just be porno. <laughs> I guess Benjamin Franklin's hair is kind of long. I'll try this. Gentlemen, I have called you here today for one reason. Let's get them shirts off. No, that's not really the reason. I was just conning you. That was just my little grift because we are tonight. Are we playing talking. skins on skins tonight? <laughs> We're playing skins on skins. Mm-hmm. When you play B-Ball at Greg's house, <laughs> everybody's skins. <laughs> uh, we are doing 1973's The Sting. What, Mike, history, if any, do you have with 1973's The Sting? Uh I am in love with the eyes of the two leads. And oh, have been God. Since I saw, but what was the first? Probably Three Days of Conroe. No, even before that, Winter Soldier. That's how long I've been a fan of Robert Redford. And uh, my Newman's <laughs> I even like his old stuff. Caesar dressing is when I fell in love with Paul Newman. A great dressing. Man, really Paul just Newman this... with eyes the color of a blue Caesar dressing. <laughs> or a delicious blue Caesar dressing. So uh, do you have history with the movie or just the just the, the, just the dudes mm, in the movie? No, do you want to answer heard... my original question? or <laughs> I'd heard of it, and uh, that's about it. I love cons. I love uh, yes. the artists. And you know what? Also the yeoman, the people who aren't yeah. quite artists yet. Like, uh, I love grifts. 
before this week, if we had said uh, main theme to the sting or like what's the music, would you have known that? The ice cream song, of course. Is the ice cream man in your neighborhood right now? I did know that. That is so hard. And it's surprising because there's so little. I'm not going to say there's none, but there's so little ice cream in this movie that Mm -hmm. you think it's a little deceiving. Yeah. He's not saying there's none. Do not email us to say technically there is some. You would expect there to be more when you hear that music. And, Greg, to answer your unasked question, uh, so here to four question. What is my relationship to Joplin's <laughs> The Entertainer? I did once when I was a rollerblader uh, ch- and a fat kid chase down a ice cream man playing that song, and he I, for so many blocks, and he finally stopped. And I <laughs> he didn't say it with his words, but I felt his eyes were like, "Well, buddy, you need it." Mike, I will one up that story of The Entertainer with when we got our first home computer in my childhood household. Uh, it came with like a wave player and it could play a bunch of public domain songs. One of them was the entertainer. And my mom was like, don't mess with the computer until you've read the instruction books or I'm going to be upset with you. And I made it play the entertainer and then it, it froze for whatever reason and it wouldn't stop playing it <laughs> even after we turned the computer off. And then like for a couple minutes it played it and then we turned the like it finally did stop. And then we're like, okay, we think we got it out of its system. We turn the computer back on. The song instantly started. <laughs> so we this had is, to have a tech person come in. This is so the first ten minutes s- of a Blumhouse movie, right? Yeah, that, that's one story about Greg's relationship with the Entertainer and with Poltergeist, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what is your history with 1973's The Sting? Well, I was 21 when Butch Cassidy came out and the Sundance Kid, so I had to. Uh, choose. Everybody was choosing which side to be on at the time. Um, of course, we would go into dances, and one half of the dance would usually be about Butch Cassidy, the other half would be about the yes. Sting, and we would stay separated the entire time. Um, this is a movie that I think that it's one of those classics. I saw this movie before I saw this movie mm, through yes. reference or parody or the music or whatever. Uh, I or honestly, just the way it inspired the culture. Yeah, I honestly can't tell you when. Like the first time I watched it, it was probably begrudging and late. Later, like I got Arms fucking folded. Not, yeah, I got fine, mom. This fuck you. I'll out. watch your movie. Um, because I had just like seen so many other movies around this, and you know, this is the one that garnered all the awards and the box office, blah blah blah. Sorry, I I know I ended that sentence like I had more to say. I <laughs> absolutely yeah. did not. I'd fully looked away from everything because I was like, well, he's got a monologue. I'll cut there was a moment it. where none of us were talking or looking at our <laughs> right, Greg, and Mike, Greg and Mike started a jigsaw puzzle right when I ended the sentence like that, but I had that, nothing else. That is going to make good radio. Well, I don't know what either of these gentlemen think about this movie, and so I can't do anything right now except for take what one panelist has called the quickest of breaks, and when we come back, we're diving right in to the sting. The Sting is one of the more successful movies we have covered on this show. It won seven of the ten Oscars it was nominated for. Sorry, Robbie Reds. It was a big critical and financial success, and it had such a cultural impact that it even revitalized ragtime for a while. (laughs) Following a ragtag group of grifters (laughs) who were trying to take it to a violent read Irish gangster, the movie treats us to Depression-era hijinks set against the desolation of Depression-era America. The film is directed by George Roy Hill and stars Redford and Newman, all three of whom were working together again after the recent success of 1969's Butch Cassidy und the Sundance Kid. 
And just like that Western, this movie is in the Dad Flick Hall of Fame, and will get any group of dads talking for at least 20 minutes. However, despite its success, or maybe because of it, The Sting is not often mentioned as one of the 70s greats. Is it fair to say that The Sting is a featherweight compared to the Coppola, Altman, and Scorsese pictures of the decade? Mike? It's... I... Hmm. Let's get this out of the way. I loved this movie. This is so yes. up Mike's butt. Is I, lo- I love Grifty. There's so many things I love would not exist without this Sting. Grifting and movies, you were going to say? I swear to God, you said... It's no, like he, you were, he finished that sentence. He finished that I sentence. You love grifting? And I would not know how to do uh, the downtown wriggle, uh, the wire, of course, <laughs> uh, where you trick somebody into watching all of the wire, the Super Bowl shuffle, without the Sting. I, I, I do think it begat so many of the things I later loved. Um playing piano very poorly but it does feel less meaty than this is one of those like oh movies can be anything even like it just turn your brain off for a couple hours i don't i loved this turn, movie you turn and turn your like okay yeah <laughs> i just I, I, have to keep saying that your tone is perfect because i also i love this movie but turn your brain off ryan do you agree with the idea turn your brain off to to watch this movie well yeah except that you're going to be even more confused than i think the movie wants you to be which is slightly (laughs) confused like more confused than any other movie i think that the the problem here is that the 70s especially this time that we're about to dive into is has this reputation of changing film forever mm-hmm. and forever. The, the sting new hollywood ryan the sting is like let's make film great again and there's something <laughs> weird about that you know like there's something like <laughs> you guys want to go back to a time and the other thing too is that the sting is surrounded by godfather and godfather part 2 which is literally right yeah. right which are absolutely throwbacks to early filmmaking you know the studio system and yet have so much more uh i don't know so much more to say about the times that they were made and more influence on the film culture after that and so the sting is like there just floating it it is weird that the writer of this i've heard about his other movies i feel like more uh he also he'd go on to do major league and major league two and sleepless in seattle and i think both major league and Sleepless in Seattle are talked about so much more. Maybe I hang out with trash people, but you 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 hang out with people that talk about Major League. I don't think that's like something that just like goes on in the general population. Is that to be not? Honest. No, is that done? But I like, would say that your particular group of friends quotes Major League more than your average. The group. average. It's okay. it's, yeah. it's our generation's Caddyshack, and nobody think else thinks it's funny. Uh, <laughs> we just say lines from it. Well, when we were kids, we wanted baseball movies. And, like, there are good baseball movies and some from that, that era like or from earlier, like, like Bull Durham and stuff. But, like, honestly, if you start listing good baseball movies, you run out quick. Mm-hmm. Like, the, so you kind of have to just, if you want a baseball movie, it might have to be Angels in the Outfield. Uh-huh. It might have to be Rookie of the Year. Little Big League. You know? Yeah, it, it might just be the, sand the biggest lot. garbage. The sand uh, lot. And I think that... Whoa. Sandlot's a... Whoa, 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 whoa. Sandlot's, time out, time out. Uh, Sandlot is average at best. I think that Greg and I might be slightly too old for Mark. those movies. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes scoring Sil- is scoring not so silent. <laughs> Drop pad just came out of its coma. <laughs> um, but yeah, David S. Ward, I do think, gave us the greatest top three baseball movie of all time. The Sleepless Mike, in Seattle, the, the Sting, number one. But I, I, do, I, I think so. It's like what, and not. I, I like Sleepless in Seattle. I do think you've got males better. Uh, it's but he is not interested in weighty, meaty. Did Stop. you pause wants- there for us to react? Like, 
Or like, Cut yeah, like almost like he was like, he was going to let Greg either score for me or <laughs> yeah. for Ryan. That's <laughs> a gentleman's pause. Uh, and I was also looking at his entire uh, filmography, including Oeuvre. The Sting 2, which is trash. And I just think maybe if the other three had kept him out of it, if they wrote it together or something. But I don't know, because I like this thing so much. But it's like, he's so interested in, like, wanting to... How do you make that perfect blockbuster movie that will please everybody? And to get that, you're not going to get anything th- thoughtful. Yeah, well, like, let me bring up a, f- a for instance about what this movie does and doesn't do. Okay, so this movie does provide us with, like, basically nonstop fun scenes. Yeah. Hijinks. Yeah, hijinks. Man, just hijinks uh, up and down, right? Uh, and then... It also it does reference a couple of times to being set in the in the depression. Right. But like does it have anything to say about the depression or about America or about the economy really? Like does this have some message in there that I'm not catching? I I think that slightly. <laughs> I think that barely. I was looking at the list of movies that we've decided to cover. Uh and there's this there's this uh love of con artists and grifters and that type in all generations of Hollywood, right? So we can't just pin that on 1973. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard because you want to say some things about movies in the late 60s and the early 70s, and you end up restricting it a little bit too much sometimes when you try to. But I do agree, and we're going to talk about in the next uh, in a couple segments, we're going to talk about like the con men mm-hmm. right. uh, heritage of this movie. But there does seem something distinct about this time about con men. I... I- and I mean, we're gonna do the ultimate one in a couple of weeks, which is Robin Hood. So, oh hell yeah, oh hell yeah! He convinced a whole nation that it was cool that he was not wearing pants. But oh. I think that uh, so much of it, so much of this right now, if I had to guess, and I don't know, like this is clearly not why it won the Oscar, right? It won the Oscar because movies got confusing to Oscar voters because they were just <laughs> different and arty, and so they were like, "Let's give it to the Sting because we know what that is." But yes. I think that it definitely it it's possible. That it hit a chord with the audience because they the audience is like we're not angels necessarily right but we know which the, which the whole nation is going through right we know yeah. definitely who the devil is right and so <laughs> yeah. we can see that although we're, the Irish <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't have perfect ethics and morals we know that there are certain lines that can be broken and certain lines that cannot be and I do think that um, Robert Shaw in this movie is very like broad brush painted as the villain in a world of villains in even more than a gangster his like downfall is that he's a banker and i think that's what makes it important that it's set during <laughs> the uh great depression is that this motherfucker has money is in control of the machine that keeps people from money like i mean that it's kind of true because when you're running numbers right or even drugs, you're you're preying on people, but right. in a mm-hmm. way, people are choosing to give you their money. When you're a banker, you're just taking a their way money. That people kind of like, yeah. Uh, you're just saying, um, I have X percentage of the money. I want a higher percentage. I'll become a banker, and I will be able to take from everybody else. You know, there's there's when you make more money, it's not like from a machine that just created money. You're taking that money from other people who probably needed it more. And I think he, it's shown how out of touch he is with the common man. That, and maybe this is too far out on the limb for this thing, but that he doesn't even recognize Hooker, who he has put a hit out on, as the <laughs> same guy who's now hanging out with him all of the time. Because well, he's so white glove, so taken care of, so not 
affected by the depression that's hitting everybody else. There's something I love about him, though, where he's like he's gloves off and he's like at the very he's in the penthouse right like he's mm-hmm. getting he's eating his meals by himself uh which i think for some reason is in that fucking like smoking jacket or yeah. like that like super fancy robe with his white gloves on they're all delivered to his room but when the the sting comes to sting and he's getting those horse calls uh he's like oh i'll be there i will be there waiting by the phone that's my job i'm the head of the mob but i still <laughs> yeah. want to be there answering that phone yeah, because he knows that he he has to handle that 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 part of it himself. The other thing that like makes an impression on us in particular for how we judge movies for this show, because at least I'm I'm with Mike and Ryan. I don't know if you, you feel the same way that this is like a popcorn, really enjoyable, excellent movie, f- a fun time. Um, but on top of does it say anything? My other question about it is, are there areas that are, like, open for interpretation? A lot of times, we, the movies that we really get into are, like, there's something that's not quite explained, or you have to bring your own understanding to it. I feel like this movie pretty much is like, okay, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this is why this happened. And You may be confused in the middle, but by the end, it's been completely cleared up for you, right? And for, for any, like, what is it, like a clockwork plot, right? Like, whether it's a, a mystery or a thriller or or a caper, it gets so plot heavy, it leaves very little room, even though it's trying to be like, what happened? It doesn't mean like, so you can think about it philosophically with your pals and your podcast. It means like, (laughs) no, literally, who the fuck is that person? What happened? I thought there was somebody else. I think that's a lot of it, too. I think that uh, because it's 1973 and because we have a show to do, we are, we have like our... uh, theme binoculars out uh-huh. right? and we're, we're trying to yeah. contextualize as hard as we can but i honestly can see like the point of this movie both for audiences and breaking it down is can we make the ultimate hangout movie because this there is a lot of like link later this is just mm-hmm. friends hanging out and also at the same time have more plot than any other movie in the history of film <laughs> can we do both of those things at the same time and this movie is kind of like talking to a nephew. It's like, and then, and then, and then, and then. I think. Okay, chill out. Go, go stand over there. The fact that you are riveted throughout this movie, even if you've seen it before, even if you notice all of its flaws that we're going to talk about, you know, throughout this show, the fact that you're still like, yeah, but you know, man, the sting, right? Uh, I think that that's not part of its brilliance. It's entire brilliance. Mm-hmm. There's something I say about movies a lot that uh, sends both of you into an instant fury, uh, including this uh, this little prelude that I do every time I, I say this. Sorry to but hit. if you had to, if you said right now you're in mixed company and you had to grab a movie to throw on, like this is going to please across demographics in a way that like the whatever movie wins this year is probably not going. To. Right. You couldn't in the middle of a family event throw on The Exorcist, you know, <laughs> like and so you don't know my and, family. And, <laughs> And so I just think that that like the fact that it is so appealing and so broadly appealing speaks to its general success, and then also maybe the thing that's going to hamstring it a little bit. Yeah, in uh, our un- particular con. Unfortunately, like, uh, and let me speak for Mike. We're both fucking infuriated. I cannot believe that you brought that up again. <laughs> but if in order to do that thing, it's so impressive, and yet, yeah, automatically means that you're at the bottom because not only are we, you know picking the best of the best from any year, but this is 1973 when movies were supposedly changing so much. And just to, to go out and say, we want to make a movie that everybody likes, everybody's stupid, 
you know, and that means that you're not making cre- like crazy decisions and you're not inventing. You're not right. inventing. You're only showing us what the past has decided was good. I mean, like this this movie cares nothing about when things happened. You know, ragtime is not the kind of music that these guys would have been listening to. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, 20 that was years like before 1800s it. even, right? Like, and so what they're doing is they're just saying, no, we just want to evoke the past. Just the past in general. And that, that's and what people may- like. Maybe other movies were doing that. Sorry, Ron, I got very excited. But like, it does feel <laughs> like that pastiche, at least the movies we've covered and we've pastiche. done how many years now, is super interesting to be like it doesn't fucking matter this is the heyday of you you think this is what people think of when they think of american gosh darn it they're bad but they they're doing it for the little guy and picking up their bootstraps and look even in the 30s they're friends with a black guy they don't care they're so much better than that stupid mick yeah they, this movie has a hardcore our heroes not racist scene like just so you know starting things off our heroes not racist <laughs> robert redford is late for the the big sting at the end so he jumps on a brontosaurus and rides it to the the scene <laughs> like it doesn't matter time doesn't matter it's a living some some movies are about life and those are the movies that i think really get under our skin but I've come to realize a lot of movies are just about movies. They're not based on things that would happen in real life. They're based on things in other movies, other stories, other radio shows that people have heard. And it's basically like this type of movie is almost like D&D. Like, you don't <laughs> expect what the realistic thing to happen. You expect the entertaining thing right. or, to happen. Or Star Wars or Tarantino. Uh, yes. Now we're just watching this auteur play with his toys in front of us. And it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of reality, but instead of getting worse every time, it gets just a little cooler. But what every time? What we Ocean's all want 11. though is a movie that stars the fourth Michael Keaton from the movie Multiplicity, so we can see that copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> Holy cow! That's exactly the kind of comment that we just need to shut down the show for, so we can take the quickest of breaks and the deepest of thinks about the seminal movie Multiplicity. We'll be right back. Oh, you know what that sweet, sweet music means. It is time to go on a shopping spree. Mike, do you love how our host this season is Andrew Dice Clay? Oh! Oh. Hickory dickory Uh. dock! You know what the truth is? You gotta inject a little excitement any way you can, even if it sounds dumb, Ryan. And so, oh! I don't care a bit. Let's move on. Uh, What we are gonna do is we are going to run through the movie... That is the sting. And we have pre-stickied up our hands, and we are just going to drag them across whatever we want, and we are going to use our grubby little mitts to get our favorite things from you, this movie. Do you want to do this Connor Roy style, where he hands us little stickers, and we can walk around the movie and put little <laughs> yes. stickers on what we want? Yes, that's a, that's a really good way to do it, because this is a non-visual medium. Uh, the order is going to be Mike, Ryan, Greg, and then we're going to go a serpentine, baby, just slithering all through this movie. But we will have hands, and they will be sticky. Uh, you can grab people, places, things, ideas, as long as you can make a case for it, and you can hoist it on your shoulders, you can drag it out of this movie. Mike, let's start with you. What would you like? And this is a gamble because I don't know if it's going after your heart or going after your heart in a bad way. I would like to take the 1935 Pierce Arrow Model 845 wow, Club fuck Sedan. Off. Fuck off. No, I don't think that was in this movie, actually. You're wrong. It is such a sleek... This man back when cars were cars and men were men. Am I right? 
Oh uh, my god. This is what a car should look like. It's so fucking hot. That where the spare tire is somehow on the passenger door, yes. but like it looks cool. It looks so cool. It's like it's like in its little house. Yeah. And I, this is dangerous. It's got drapes. Can't you run up to that spare tire and turn it, and then that will also steer the car? Yes. That's so dangerous. That but people know flaw. they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> the back has like drapes. The only if there's one downside to this car, it reminds me of like the Maybach, in that um, you have to have a driver. Like to experience mm. this car truly, or the the Maybach truly, you have to be in the back, and someone has to be driving you. And I could not imagine that experience, like actually having a driver. Um, but if you could but- afford it. Mike, I don't want to just give you this victory, um, but can you make one addition when you draft this? Can you replace the back seat and the back windshield with TV screens that display like a road going very fast as you're driving? Uh, nice. Yes. yes, I can. Thank you. All right. So Mike <laughs> has jumped in and grabbed the car. Great strategy because that would have been one of my picks. Also, I mean, would have been one of my picks. I got I to gotta at least consider awarding it. Ryan. Yes. Is there a vehicle you would like to drive away in no uh i'm gonna pick something that's not a vehicle and piss and shit all over mike's vehicle in the process uh wow. everyone knows that i am trying to get you guys to help me spend pop filter money on additions to my home where i'm going to recreate the cheers bar and then on top of that a blockbuster video where i store all of my physical media uh we're adding a third to that because right now i'm drafting a fake betting parlor <laughs> just to be <laughs> right there i don't want real-time horse information coming in. No. I just want Ray Walston... Oh, the, they shot another one. ...the teacher from <laughs> Fast Times to be sitting in a booth reading fake-ass <laughs> horse information. <laughs> he was so grumpy, but in the end, he taught Spicoli everything he needed to know. Man, Fast Times is such a beautiful movie. <laughs> I yeah. feel like we're the only ones who ever talk about that. We're at the point now, by the way, watching this movie for some reason, I was like... Paul Newman, The Verdict, uh, Robert Redford, Three Days of the Condor, Ray Walston, Fast Times. We're at the point where, like, this is a, we can't even get our first Ray Walston movie in it anymore. No way, not anymore. Bobby Shaw Jaws, also his fighting name. Robert Shaw Jaws. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just uh, I, I feel like all the liquor was real, and so I don't care about the rest. Wow. I, I hate that that's not the first time I've heard you say that in life. It's really... <laughs> 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 All right, I am going to go with, um, this movie features a carousel, yeah. and I think I'm going to grab that carousel for the exclusive reason that I saw a tweet once that referred to a carousel as a horse tornado, and <laughs> I don't want to exaggerate, I don't, I, there's no way you think about a carousel tweet every day of your life, it's just not possible, a lot of the times you're just in despair, but I think about this a lot, at least, especially whenever I see a carousel, so I would like one horse tornado also apparently um sex workers like it and Mm -hmm. (laughs) i want to i always want to make my environment the most conducive to making sex workers comfortable as i possibly can so if kids try to come around i'm obviously gonna shoot kids get out of (laughs) here i also hate that that's not the first time i've heard you say that sentence uh (laughs) there's a part in this movie where um elaine brennan comes in and paul newman is like or she says to paul newman hey the Sex workers are bored. Mind if I turn on the merry-go-round? Yeah. And he's like, no, do it. It's like, you guys are in your mid-30s. Like, <laughs> I remember being like, wait, does that, m- does that mean that they're going to – they want to go on the carousel? And then the, the very next shot is all of them on yeah. the carousel drinking. Fucking loving it. Yeah. They're, they're having also a great drinking, time. Ryan. Consider that. Like, That's true. 
I do feel like carousel is something that when you are not on the carousel and you look at it, you're like, that's dumb. And then when you're on the carousel and the music starts playing and the lights are going and you're going in a circle, you're like, well, I'm, I don't want to harden my heart to this experience. This is pretty cool. Mike, Ken? let's get some information here. Now, we yes. know Greg is a carousel person. I'm a merry-go-round person. Where are you? Too tall. Too tall. Way too tall for Greg. What's way too tall for Greg? The merry-go-round. No, I'm, you're thinking of Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. Way too tall for Greg. Merry-go-round and carousel, I feel oh, like are synonymous. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I am a merry-go-round guy, unless we're talking about Blink-182's seminal hit, Carousel, Cheshire which I do think- Cat. You should play instead of any sort of Joplin. You should have Carousel on repeat. I do think we should transition to talking about calling it a horse tornado, though. Yes, regardless of what we've called it now, from think, now on. Wasn't that a burrito that Ron Swanson ate once? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't give the credit to the horse tornado tweeter because this is like the mo- one of the most stolen tweets I've ever seen. This is like the shrimp, fr- the, a shrimp fried this rice tweet. Uh-huh. Like, just if you search this, it's like seven hundred people have said it. Um, it's probably so sorry. Megan Amram. All right. Next, I'm going to go for something that is a impossibility, and that intrigues me. Something that is, much like this movie, a cool idea, but if you think about it for, like, even a little bit, like, just a little bit, you're like, oh, no, I, that's a dumb idea, and that is the tension inherent in this movie. And I'm going to go with the silenced revolver. Um, Damn it! Can yeah. you put a silencer on a revolver? Sure, if you want to. Uh, that's not where a revolver makes noise, though. So it's not really <laughs> going to do anything for you. There's like a gap in between the the, the cylinder and the barrel that's still going to make the noise. But does it look cool? Yes. Greg, silencers ha- are inherently cool. I hate to give you the win here, but um, can I make an addition for when you draft this? Sure. Uh, me. Everything comes with that little screw. So dog barking. Screw in the silencer. You yeah. can barely hear the dog barking. Neighbors oh, TV. Okay. Neighbors TV is too loud. Walk over. Screw that. Don't turn the volume down. Just screw the silencer into their TV. Now you can't hear their TV. Okay. I thought you were saying do it in front of these creatures so they would get scared of you no, and no, no. stop making it, whatever noise. You can just screw it into whatever you want. Is there right. anything more American than advising someone else just to brandish a pistol just next to anybody that, that they don't like? Well, for that first round, I'm going to go... I, you know what, Mike? God, I'm so audacious, and I hate you for it, but that car is so sexy, and so I'm, I think I'm going to have to, to give it give it to you in the first round. Uh, but, Ryan, I need your pick for the second round. Uh, I am going to go with a restaurant that makes 35-cent meatloaf. Um, I, <laughs> I love a restaurant like this, but they're now you know very expensive. You're paying like $19, dollars $30 for meatloaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want that same chalkboard where it's like a different, just old school meal every yeah. night. Like something that involves brown gravy. You know brown, it's going to be slobbed in brown gravy. Wouldn't you love to have a blue plate special? Yes. That sounds so fucking good, And there's dude. like a shitty salad and steamed vegetables and chunky mashed potatoes. You know that there's pie. Also, everyone back then just had coffee with their meal. I'm not a coffee with my meal guy, but I'll do it if I'm paying 35 cents for meatloaf. If there's any sort of noir vibe at all, I'm having coffee with my meal. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's just how it is. Because you don't know the next time you're going to catch a wink. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I'm hitting on that waitress. And I don't care how it turns out, okay? (laughs) I'm I'm hoping she's a black widow. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a strong one, Ryan. Thank you. I like that. Uh, Mike, Ryan has an entire restaurant. Mm. What do you want to pick up? The key to playing a con that you guys have clearly all forgotten, is confidence. I would love 
to have confidence <laughs> to believe so that any that. of my ideas could that ever so work sweet. out. Oh, man. Could you uh, imagine these three dudes with just a little bit of confidence? That, There's nothing we couldn't mess up. <laughs> that would be, I mean, are you drafting for the whole table or is this just for you? This, uh, you know what? I thought I'm we split, a giver. Right? I'll share it with the table. You can touch the revolver if you want. Oh, man. Revolver plus confidence equals fucking results. <laughs> you guys. Try that That's what small made town. this country. <laughs> okay, Mike. I am giving you a point for say that in a small town, but you're on thin ice, bud. I don't <laughs> think you want to really like continue down that. Um, shit. He did it again, Ryan. I'm sorry. That's, I thought it's with, fine. I thought with my revolver, it's it, it's an impossibility. I thought for sure it's Hollywood, Look, Hollywood magic. In real life, it's much more likely that I will own a restaurant than Mike will ever get confidence. So <laughs> give him the point <laughs> now. That's so messed up. Uh, sidebar, Mike, you have so much, so many reasons to be confident. You're amazing, and I love you. Uh, Thank you. But I am going to need that third round pick, confidence man. <laughs> Look, did one for Greg. Did one for. Ryan, let's say I got to do one for me. Uh, <laughs> I am truly in love with the idea of trash. fancy luxury. I love trash. <laughs> yeah. um, train travel. I fucking love luxury train you wanna travel. You want to buy a train right now. You want to draft a train. I, I want – it doesn't even need to be the full train, Ryan. It could be yeah. just a fancy train car that looks nicer than any house I've ever lived in. <laughs> do uh, Your <laughs> so diner spacious. car, have you – figured out who's making your food because i own a restaurant and i can get 30 45 cent meatloaf onto that train if you i could uh, hire i could me. probably get that restaurant from him with my revolver mike <laughs> if you want <laughs> bust that meatloaf down to 35 cents again. so wait so greg drafted a revolver and now owns all of our stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah america i've definitely like gone gun crazy right away i'm just brandishing it <laughs> swinging it around i took the silencer off it right away because i was like no i want this to be loud people need to know so mike what what uh Narrow it down for me, because you said, like, I don't necessarily want the whole train. What specifically do you want? Then I guess I'll take the the cart, because this is a whole car, right? One room is yeah. a, a, a gaming hall. Yeah. One room is a nice wood-paneled place with booze and smoke, and you get to hang out with your buds or people you And it's, you like, hate. as wide across as a train. So how is it on a train if it's, like, as big as a train right. car? It's right. <laughs> Snowpiercer taught us never ask that question. <laughs> and then... The room Snow behind Piercer it. Snowpiercer would have two like uh, characters playing racquetball, just being like, "This train is crazy, right?" <laughs> and one bungee jumping in the distance behind them. Man, sucks that this is the apocalypse. Anyways, your point. And then uh, the, the room behind it is like a great lavish uh, cream, not cream of wheat. What's the cream? I guess just cream colored, like bed spread and walls. Yeah, and a bed spread made of cream of wheat. A cream of wheat bed spread. <laughs> Go have your little meeting there. All right, very good. So uh, a fancy train car for Mike. I like that. Monty Burns style personal train car. Um, Ryan. Yeah. It is to you. What is your final pick? Uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie, I don't know why, just remember this from being a kid, is um, Kid Twist. Kid Twist. Just who's like, uh, we'll get to him in a second. Like, it, one of the greatest characters of all time. Uh, it's like, all right, you're hired. Um, pick up your tweed suit over there. And the guy picks up his suitcase. He's like, no, I got it all right here, motherfucker. In this suitcase is all of the makeup, fake hair, Curly. costumes. I want that suitcase. He just, he's just like, no, goes in the corner and comes out like a slightly taller leprechaun. And that's, that's how <laughs> yeah, they he run like the puts cons. on a mustache and then goes like, oi, I'm an English man, I am. So I want that suitcase because in my head it's cartoon style reaching. Yeah, you like reach and in endlessly. There. It's a close cousin to Mary Poppins. Bag, I love for it. Sure. I love it. All right, and then I have the the final pick. 
And I think what I'm going to go with is I would just, I just really like one of them old timey telephones. Um, mm. That is, it's just, it's such a good look. You get to have the piece that, uh, the earpiece, the, the part that you scream into. Uh, reminds me of being at Disneyland. Why not? Old timey telephone for the Gregster. I, uh, well, I, I've got one more thing, Greg, before you announce the winner. Yes. Um, I had a little bit of money left over from the shopping spree. And okay. so I'm going to get each of us a uh, classic old-timey sex worker costume that always has that silk robe. So when we mm-hmm. go to Greg's house and ride the carousel, we can wear those flowy. They're always – they're not sexy at all, just lots of flowy silk. Yeah. Well, they like they would slip off quickly. That's a type of sexy. Um, <laughs> all right. So the last round is Mike with your train car ryan with your magical bag and me with my old-timey phone and i'm gonna give this one to ryan i like your magical i like that the bag of disguises there's just something in the in the absolute fantasy world that this movie exists there's just something so special about this bag of disguises where you can like become anyone Mm -hmm. and like the sort of logic of the movie is like even if you can tell that this guy doesn't look that different the other characters don't recognize him so just (laughs) go with it okay he's also trying to fool somebody who's never met him before (laughs) (laughs) he's never expect an english person (laughs) but like also the whole idea of like uh go over there and get your suit no i'm gonna go over there like off camera everyone's always pointing off camera right yeah no way i got my own deal i got my own deal here well uh mike you ended up with a car um confidence as an attribute and a train car Ryan, you ended up with, um, it just says parlor. What was that again? The fake betting parlor. Oh, yes. And then um, you also ended up with something else and then the curly bag. Oh, the restaurant. You ended the, up restaurant. With the restaurant. So, wow, you have two locations. You're a landlord. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, and then I ended up with a horse tornado, a silenced revolver, and then an old-timey phone. So, overall, Mike, I think you're going to get the overall award. Greg is going to be a cowboy, <laughs> waving his gun around as he slowly goes in a circle on his horse. Bang, 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 bang. When we come back, we are going to talk about the cons. And we're also going to talk about a little thing we call Hollywood. We see auditions, writing, set design, location scouting, acting. Is this thing about how fucking dumb Hollywood thinks the audience is, Ryan? Is it about how dumb? I think that it is in love with Hollywood's uh, relationship Hollywood. to the audience. Um, I think that they they liken, but in very uh, complimentary ways, um, that every Hollywood movie is a con of sorts, right? And you yes. have to trick your audience into uh, believing certain things that aren't true, even though you know it's a facade. We see them setting up a set of a betting parlor on a set. We know that right. this is like in a back lot of a studio and they're oh, setting we're in the hyper real folks. Yeah, and they're setting up another set on top of that. And it made me sort of realize that I, I watched a movie, uh, a uh, Powell Pressburger movie called The Red Shoes recently. And The Red Shoes is about a ballerina and her director and the music writer and they're putting on this big show called The Red Shoes. And you see the entire show that they put on, basically, in the movie. And what it does is it sort of, even though the outside of the show, the story that you're watching is so um, stylized and old school and movie-ish, 
you start to believe that more because you saw the art that they were making. And so when it cuts back to them as people, they're not characters anymore. Those are the people that put on the show that you've watched. And there's a lot of that here of like, we are watching, this is waiting for Guffman, you know, we're watching our gang put on a play. Hamlet, if you will. Did they put a play in Hamlet? Did they Hamlet, put a play in Hamlet these days? The plays, the thing. You can put a you play in anything. Did? These libs went in there and they put a play right in the middle of Hamlet. Oh, and it's kind of like awkwardly very similar to what happens in the rest of Hamlet. I bet that play is so woke. There's one part where they act without talking. Yikes. Um, so yeah, this is clearly not just like about cons, right? This is about Hollywood itself. It, it does. It feels like part, part of the impetus is them being like, we love the work that we do. But so many people are. It's not just Redfords and Newmans, right? There's so many unsung heroes, the, the, the set dressers, the kids the twist, people who run the kid, your kids twist. And that it feels like, no, we're going to have to. It'd be people aren't ready to watch a movie about a movie yet. But gosh damn it, are we going to highlight all the work that goes into putting on a movie here uh, for I the mean, audience? Technically, that's not true, right? I mean, movies about movies. movies been about uh, movies since fucking day one. Since day one. Uh, literally day one. But uh, Kid Twist, I think, is a crazy example because um, a producer has never been the star or even like uh, as like heralded as Kid Twist in this movie. He's the fucking producer. He he gets shit done. He solves problems. He finds the money. He comes in with the money. He uses that money. Like... I, I do yeah. think that Kid Twist does not – this is based on nothing except for the way that he acts. Maybe he's broke as fuck. But the way that he acts and dresses makes me think that he's got billions in the bank. Yes. And this is for fun. Just for love of the game. Yeah. I, I got the feeling that he's a little queer-coded. There's something about how fastidious he is about his physical appearance and gloves. I've heard that in classic Hollywood, like the kind of Hollywood that this movie harkens back to – that gloves were often like a signifier to sort of like mm. an, an, uh, a subtle way of being like, this character's gay, just so, just so you know, if you do know. So that means when you say the gloves are off, that means it's fucking time. <laughs> it's time. That's what I mean. <laughs> it's time to bang. Is, is this possibly this connection between the cons and how they do it in a very like Hollywood style? Is that maybe, besides how entertaining this movie Potentially a reason why this won Best Picture yes, in the yes. year. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and the, yeah, the thing that Mike was saying was that uh, this is competency porn, but you don't want to just say, look how competent filmmakers are. Right. Yes. So then you guise it with, look how competent these con men are putting on this show for your entertainment, huh? Do you want to give us awards? <laughs> and then the, there's like two avenues of who the audience could be, right? The audience of the con is either the audience of the movie because we're watching it. Or I think Shaw can be two roles here. He's either the audience and the audience are how do you do debts and they're fucking dumb and everything's a, a big hoax to fool them out of money. Or Hollywood is filled with artists and people who want to create and Hollywood is bankrolled by fucking stingy VC bros. Yeah, and he's so a studio saying, head. We have to trick the fucking studio heads to squeeze everything we can so we can take the money and run it and make the art that you'll love. Does this have anything to do with today's news? And right now, we are on strike. <laughs> well, Ryan, um, you always... Uh, nope, I lost it. I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, when we talk about the cons, when we talk about the, the stings, which sting like affected you the most? Which really got to you? Oh, man. I mean... And that could be like an emotional thing, or it can just be a you were actually tricked by. The, I, I think that the, 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 the movie is a little... 
anticlimactic mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, I had seen it before, so I was like, guys, I already know all this. Like, yeah, what? you're not you're doing it. You rewritten a different one. <laughs> um, but uh, there's... A, at that, at the very end, Redford and Newman are a little too ha ha ha. Look what we did for my taste. Uh, I think that the the con that the movie never comes back from is the drunk Newman yeah. playing poker with Shaw, <laughs> and just us knowing because we're delivered all the information that Shaw is cheating for sure. Right, and we know that Hooker is good at cards, but is he? Because there's a point where he's trying to show Redford how good at cards he is, and he messes up. And I think the most brilliant moment of acting in the movie where he messes up and just keeps eye contact with Redford and doesn't break. And like yeah. he's, he's trying to remain confident Maybe I meant and manly. To do that. <laughs> Are you buying it? But those baby blues sort of reveal, like, oh, fuck, I'm old. Um, and just the acting of drunk, you know, like, I'm going to put, I'm going to wear gin as cologne and that's yeah. going to Swish trick it people. In my mouth. That's, and that's and so much, uh, that's so much Newman, you know? Yeah. That, Mike, what is it for you? What is the one that really got to you? The, I mean, yeah, that's that's a great setup. The the one that got to me, can I? I'll, I'll say the one that got to me. In a, that I was like, uh, is there's a moment where you see Redford towards the end putting stuff in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. and you're like, huh? What's what's going on here? And then so by the end, when it's there's a fake shootout, and then you find out Poke, the FBI agent, was fake, and so it's like, who was real and who gives a shit? And Do that you know- that. And is this whole thing me. maybe too big and complicated? Like, a, is, is it clever? A million if you, dollars. <laughs> if you have, like, 150 people working on your con, right. is it still clever? Here's like your $7.50. Here's your $7.50. And I know this is not a way to enjoy a movie like this, and we've like been at pains to say, like, how this is not a way to enjoy a movie like this, but they have the machine, the Western Union machine, that tells them the results of the race ahead of time. It feels like that thing would be so valuable that it, right. you can't just have that as an element of the con, right? No. That's like the most valuable thing in the in the world. This is this goes back though to the uh, love of filmmaking because mm-hmm. yeah. every movie that's ever been made could be told far simpler, <laughs> and yet yes. what we're gonna do is we're gonna throw a ton of money into it and just be as bombastic as possible. Honestly, the movie that I thought of the most in the last twenty minutes of this movie was adaptation. And adaptations yes. last twenty minutes. I don't know if you guys remember that movie, but that one movie of the year for two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Oh, good for it! And there's a transition at some point towards the end where it's we're a little less Charlie and we're a little more Donald, yes. and <laughs> we have alligator murders and people flying out of cars, and that's th- that's not th- okay. Let me see if I can break this down. That's not just the filmmakers doing this to this movie, so their audiences are more entertained. But that's also the plan to get Shaw out of the room right. is he will be so flustered by seeing Butch yeah. and Sundance shoot each other because throw it all the fuck in now. Right. Like we're at the end of the movie. Throw it. All, he's going to be looking around like FBI's there. Two dead bodies. I need to run out of here. I'm not going to I'm going to barely think about my money. And it's all all of like the greatness and overblownness and convolutedness but adorableness of movies is all cascading right here in the last five minutes including fucking redford and newman just leaving Uh, just saying let's go on to our next movie and then iris shot into their butts and we're out the sting bitch it do you feel like well it reminded me it reminded me a lot of oceans 11 where like we want to tell this dope story about these charming con men and grifters but we have to make it so impossible for any viewer to recreate 
this con so no lawmen can come after us for showing them how to do it. So, so we'll it, put in so many layers and twists and turns. That is this Herbie theory? Physically do it. Herbie theory? Yeah. Herbie. Her- fully describe loaded? Herbie theory. The the car that's alive. No, the robot that they replaced the human torch with, so kids would not light themselves on fire yes. wanting to be the human torch. <laughs> exactly. It's Herbie theory. <laughs> I like that now that we know what it is. I've never thought about that, but. I and maybe the sting create. I think the sting created this. If it didn't, then it's like Star Wars in that we say that it created it, even right. though it harkens back it, to the past. Of like, no, the convolution of the heist is fun. Make yeah. it as crazy as possible. And Ocean's it, Eleven rolled with that. Oh yeah. It, but there it, are, go, Mike. Uh, it just brings it level, and then there's stuff that's not connected to the main heist. At least Poke and the fake FBI are, and so now they're hoodwinking Shaw and the Crooked Cop. But the diner waitress who is also an assassin and she's been known all about and then there's been a secret killer bodyguard protecting redford like that's when i'm like guys i don't know yeah see i think that like i think that that's the movie being like no we are trying to be absurd Uh like this it's almost like the movie is saying yeah if you think about any of this for more than two seconds because there's not a single con in this in this movie that if you think about for more than two seconds you're like oh wait that wouldn't work because or this is like very flimsy but that seems to be kind of the point because i do think at this time america is like give us the dream we don't want the reality the reality is so much more bitter than we ever thought it could be and so we are actively saying lie to us con us grift us just don't make us think about the real world in any capacity at all and do the do the fun do the bad stuff that's fun not the bad stuff that's bad just do the bad stuff that's fun i mean if you look at newman and redford let's say they're what four years apart Mm-hmm. And Newman is this grizzled, yeah, out of the game veteran, and Redford's like this young sixteen-year-old pup, fresh on the scene. <laughs> uh, it, it was just like, which archetype do you guys want? Just pick like this is how these movies work. Pick one of these two, uh, and then we're just gonna roll. You know, they were supposed to be dramatically different ages in the script, but then they just like find actors to do it that have so much chemistry, and they're like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> What's we'll the, just have him stoop? Is it Dana Carvey and somebody who was supposed to? They were offered Bad Boys first. It was like Dana Carvey and Mike Myers were supposed to be in the movie Bad Boys. <laughs> and they were like, okay, so you two don't want to do it. Let's give it to these other two actors. We'll change the script a little bit. But it, yeah, it's As just like, if. find the find the people. Um, is this the movie that started us getting con man movies all the time? If, if Maybe it's the thing you were just talking about, Ryan, where we look at the... At the most recent thing, or we look at one of them, but not far enough in the in the past. Is this the, the origin of the con men movie? I always think about... Um, a scene from Ocean's Eleven, but this is a scene that's like everywhere, which is like, all right, we're gonna need a barreler, uh, yeah. a monkey fuck, a croissant, <laughs> and a fat lady, right? And like that oh, kind we're of doing the Cincinnati squeezer, right? <laughs> that kind of talk that like we there's this underground lingo, um, that reminds me of like of Mice and Men, where people would like write secret things to like the transients that yeah. would go from farm to farm, like hobo code, thieves hobo code, yeah, like. The, the whole idea of con code and how, like, yes. Gondorf could be this broken-down merry-go-round, or I'm sorry, carousel or horse tornado employee, <laughs> but also has the pull to just get an army uh, and yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars at his leisure. That, I feel like, all started here. They're so having that, a cattle call open audition right. for con well, men to con the most dangerous man in the city. Part in the of newspaper? Is- and it, it, it runs through it kind of fast, but I think it's trying to say Luther was so loved. Right. 
uh, Luther's the Redford's partner who dies in the beginning of the movie. Luther was so like loved. his mentor, right? Yeah, taught and, him the game, and who was like partners with Gondor. What is the Lord Gondor? of the Rings name? Gondorf. Uh, they were partners like years ago, or they knew Gondorf each other. Gondorf the Gray. They, but the, the whole con world loves Luther so much. They're like, yeah, we'll all we'll all come out of retirement for this. That's shit. That's a good point. I mean, there's there's multiple points where. Like even the very last line, like Redford's like, was it worth it? And Gondorf is like, it was fun, right? Like they keep saying, yeah. Gondorf says early on, revenge is for suckers. You know, right. like that's not enough of a motivation. But fuck you, Newman. Like that's so much of it. Somebody crossed a line in your world, and you're going to fuck that person over. So you know what? That's call a, that's it revenge a- or avenge or whatever you want to, but. That's a little bit of openness in the movie that where we are allowed to interpret because I think that they they all have a sort of spectrum of reasons for why they're doing what they're doing, and I think maybe wondering what exactly is each character's total reason for doing it, and that certainly answers the charge of like this wouldn't be worth it. Yeah, they're not trying to really actually make that much money on this. They're all trying to screw over this right. guy, and this is how you screw this one individual guy. But also, they're junkies, you know, and yeah. yeah, they need their next fix. They're all going through that, you know. Like I think that that's sort of why he's a merry-go-round worker instead of working on a roller coaster is because well that does the same thing but it's really just i'm going to be excited about getting on this ride never or always forgetting that i'm going to end up in the exact same spot every time you can't say something like that when i'm trying to bring that whole segment to a conclusion (laughs) because i mean redford says at the end of the movie like no i don't even need my share i'm just gonna blow it yeah you guys just keep going on the same fucking ride over and over again He's but he has matured enough by the end of the movie to know that he's <laughs> yeah, a junkie. Least, yeah. Where I don't think at the beginning of the movie he knew that. He was surprised when he in the beginning of the movie when he lost all of his money at that table and nobody else was. Everybody was yeah. like, oh, yeah. okay. He just it every time. <laughs> Pop quiz, hot shots. What's my favorite segment on this show? Trivia? Trivia? Next. It is trivia time. You've worked hard all show, and now you get to have trivia. The rules are, gentlemen, let me finish the question, because a lot of times they're kind of silly. Uh, Ring in with your own name, and then I will tell you whether you are right or wrong. If you are a smarty pants and you happen to know that my answer is wrong, too bad. It's my answer. (laughs) I will kick you. Question the first. Why does the character Doyle Lonigan walk with a pronounced limp? Ryan. Ryan? Shaw got injured. (laughs) He tore every ligament in his knee. And, like, Damn. when you know that, it actually makes the movie a lot worse because you're just like, oh, God, this poor guy. Like, he can hardly freaking move. Was it a shark bite? It was a shark bite. It was It was a shark bite. Some of these trivia questions are going to be very easy to get. Luther Coleman, Johnny Hooker's first mentor, is the father of what famous actor? Ryan. Ryan? Ryan. Ryan Simba. Simba. <laughs> <laughs> say no more, say no more. It is one James Earl Jones. Really? Yeah, dude. They yeah, got different voices. Turns out Robert Earl Jones is the father of Dave, uh, <laughs> Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Actor Robert Shaw was featured in what 1975 movie of the year? Mike. Mike? Jaws. Thank God. Jaws. Yes, sir. <laughs> Very good job, Mike. The five Thanks for that, points Ryan. mentioned during the con logistics early on is heavily featured in what 2002 movie of the year? Mike. Ryan. I heard Mike first. Gangs of New York. Boom. Also, it is a shopping center right near Ryan's house. Uh, That's true. <laughs> There's a Tilly's where my gangs dangerous. fight. Dude, yeah, dude. You do not want to mess with the people at the green tea there. 
as he researched old Hollywood gangster films of the 1930s for inspiration, director George Roy Hill noticed that most of them didn't use a lot of what in the scenes, leading to him to make the same artistic choice. Ryan. Ryan. I want to say, because there's something that the movie's famous for, but it's actually not in it as much. I want to say music. It's not the music, although I, there's... That's a good a good thing. Ryan. I mean, Mike. Do you have <laughs> no, Ryan again? Ow. Ryan. Uh, lighting. Um, no, although the, the coloring was a part of that. Uh, old-timey movies, according to George Roy Hill, did not use that many extras, which is why the streets of Chicago in this movie yeah. are generally uh, completely empty. That sounds... Uh, be, maybe it's because of how the old movies looked. You know, and that's what like sets the seed. But that's it's it screams backlot. Like yes. when you see no, yeah. nobody out there, it's just like, oh, okay. So this is behind the clock tower from Back to the Future. I think if we said to him, you know, this movie doesn't seem like it's based on reality. It seems like it's based on fictive universes. He'd go, yeah, dude. I went really. I did a lot to make that clear. So, and I'm a little concerned that you're telling it to me like it's something you thought of. <laughs> oh, did you put that together? Yeah, thank you. I Man, there's like 18 different decisions I made to make that so clear. When because is, if, it was, if it was real, if it was supposed to be a documentary, then it would have been sepia colored and everybody would have moved fast. <laughs> <laughs> very good. You did interrupt me, but very good. I, I'm sorry. When Kid Twist is in the bar looking for recruits for the planned sting, he is told the bar is full of good people. And he can have his pick, to which Kid Twist replies, they have to be the quill. What does this mean in gangster slang? Mike. Mike? They have to be sharp. They have to be sharp. They have to be the real deal. They have to be the real deal or sharp. Good. Very good. Uh, The film is set in the 1930s, but despite this fact, it extensively uses what, which was actually popular 20 to 30 years earlier. Ryan. Ryan. Ragtime music? Ragtime, yeah. See, another way in which he indicated that he's not making a movie at all based on reality is he took music from 30 years earlier and scored the whole thing because he just he liked the jingle jangles. Uh, it was that, uh, but also if you saw the sting when the sting took place, there would be pianos in the movie theater that would play ragtime. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Jingly jangly ragtime. And, I mean, so many of the montages are clearly not just montages. They are meant to be silent film scenes right. and like a lot of the chases are meant to be right. like silent film scenes it's pretty clear when redford gets his haircut you think that's yeah. a start of a montage but it's not yeah. it's one silent film short film <laughs> it's not a montage it's it's crazy i am like i loved this movie when we started talking about it and i expected to like like it a little bit less as we talked about it i think i'm liking it more the more we talk about it the more i'm like yeah these are decisions an artist made not things you noticed uh, this movie made ragtime music popular again. Is that stupider than swingers making swing music popular again in the 90s? Mike. Ryan. Mike? No, that's exactly what I thought of. This this brought on third wave ragtime, and I loved it. <laughs> what do you say, Ryan? Uh, uh, nothing is stupider than swing music coming back again in the late 90s. Yeah, dude, that was that was so sad of us. It was in the I Gap can't... ads. Come I on. Can't believe, I can't believe we did that. Also, uh, uh, at that same time, we all were like, you know what else we should do in between swing sets? Smoke cigars. What a fucking crazy time. Oh, my God. The whole so ethos of the cigar is, sure, this sucks for me, but it sucks way worse for everybody <laughs> fucking around me. This is America. Choke, bitch. Capitalism. <laughs> this movie was filmed on the back lot of Universal Studios, and the diner in which Hooker meets Lonigan is the same diner interior used in what other movie of the year movie? Ryan. Ryan. Oh, shit. Back to the Future? Back to the Future. Well done. 
Did that win movie of the year? Um, oh no, we covered it. Not we covered it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just there was a lot of connections to other movie of the year movies that we've done. I, I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. Uh, magist- magician John Scarn was brought in to double for the actors doing what? Mike. Ryan. Mike. The card tricks. The card tricks. Right. Very good. The cartery. The cartery. The cartery. I love a good pair of cartery pants. According to producer Julia Phillips. Robert Redford was concerned that he wasn't acting in the film, but only doing a lot of what? Ryan. Ryan? I don't know this, but I'm going to say dancing. The first 15 minutes, he'll just like march around a corner and he'll just like do a little <laughs> half step. And they, he, over the course of the movie, he gets more jaded and fucked up. But in the first 15 minutes, he's a cartoon He's character. feeling himself so much <laughs> early on. Mike, that, uh, that's not correct. Mike, do you have an answer? Reacting? Uh, no, he said uh, all. And. What, if you if you know this, it, you can see it's very clear in the movie. All he does in this movie is run. Like he spends more time just running. Oh. There's so many scenes where it's just like now he's running from the cop, and it's like okay. I honestly filmed some of the TV screen that I was watching this on and sent it to Tom Cruise. Like you could be better, bro. <laughs> Both Redford and Newman are known to drive and obsess over what perfect German automobile? Ryan. Ryan. German. German automobile. Where's the Porsche from? Uh, incidentally, it happens to be from Germany. Porsche. What Porsche, Ryan? Nine Eleven. Never forget the Porsche Nine Eleven. <laughs> is that true? That Wait, is, is all of that true? <laughs> all that's true. Yeah, man. Uh, Hollywood at this point, all the cool guys in Hollywood were completely obsessed with the the 9/11. Porsche Nine Eleven. I have never fallen down the stairs and landed in a splits more <laughs> than that answer. <laughs> <laughs> what did I get in huge trouble for on the actual Nine Eleven? R- uh, Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> I, think I got something. in trouble for Ryan. Yes, because uh, had something to do with Ryan. Ryan. When Ryan and I knew each other as young men, if I got in trouble for anything, I was like, "Uh, Ryan told me to do it." <laughs> he was my Bart Simpson, and I was his Millhouse. And that's why you bombed the two towers. <laughs> Mike, do you have a guess about what I got in a huge trouble for on the actual nine eleven? Mike, Mike, was it bringing a blade onto a plane and saying, <laughs> "I'm the captain now"? It was not. Uh, my dad woke me up and said, a plane is at the uh, World Trade Center. And I went, that's wild. And I went back to sleep. <laughs> and he came into my room later and he's like, a second plane at the shower. What? Are you sleeping? And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was so pissed off at me. Who was to blame for 9-11? Sleepy, sleepy. Greg's Greg. dad. <laughs> Greg's dad. Uh, this is the first Universal Studios film to win the Best Picture Oscar since All Quiet on the Western Front, winner of the award in what year? Mike. Ryan. I think I heard Mike first. 2022. <laughs> Ryan? Hmm. Do you have a better answer than Get that? Get Ryan's head. Greg, I don't know if I have the right answer, but I have he a better answer Mike. for sure. <laughs> he had an answer loaded up, and then he was like, oh, oh i got to catch my breath. What uh, is it, Ryan? I'm going to say 1929. That's so fucking close. You're very smart, dude. Uh, 1930. Ah, <laughs> that's just as dumb but as it, what I said. It came out in 1929, so it won the 1930 Oscar for that's Best true. Picture. That's true. Wow, that's pretty good. I'm giving Mike a point for that. Um, <laughs> awesome. Always one, talk. This is one of only two movies to have won the Academy Award for Best Picture without having been nominated for any of the three Golden Globe Awards for Best Motion Picture, Best Drama, Best Comedy Musical, or Best Foreign Film. What is the other movie? So Holy it was nominated shit. for Best Picture, but it didn't get nominated in any of the major categories in uh, the Golden Globes. Best Drama or Best Comedy Musical or 
best does foreign it, film. Does this mean that it's so fucking American that yeah. the Hollywood Foreign Press Association does not even recognize it? It's a confusing result, but can you can you name the other movie that has the accusing? It, it's, 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 I'll give you a clue. It's Bad Company. It's not the that, movie Bad Company. Uh, I, just, I, was, I, mean, <laughs> I was just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Bad Company. That's such a hard question. Can we get a year or a decade or yeah, a, um, a title? Can we get the, the title of the movie? It, it's a movie from the 2000s. Like the decade 2000 to 2009? Mike. Yeah, Mike. Crash. Yes, it's Crash. Oh, God damn Mike. it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we just, doesn't it? We just played <laughs> Dumb Cop, Smart Cop. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and Jeff, which Robert Redford calls those two guys here. Hey, nice. That, you know what? That's a question I didn't ask, but you did answer. Mutton Jeff, the guy who lo- loves mutton. <laughs> loves stewed mutton. <laughs> Do I smell somebody making mutton? No, Mutton Jeff. Get the hell out of here. Jesus Christ. Has somebody marked our house as a mutton house or something? Um, originally, screenwriter David S. Ward was supposed to direct, but Robert Redford objected. Why? Ryan. Ryan. He never directed a movie before. Yes, because apparently... It's not very smart to just have somebody direct a feature film as the very first thing they ever do <laughs> as, a, as a director. And the I, GRH, like, they had success, like, what, four years earlier? Yeah. Bring the team back together. Yeah. Yeah, why they, not? Get the hell out of here, David S. Ward. Go Did he direct Major anything League, else, you I am not sure, actually. Writer David S. Ward taped a five-minute pitch of the project but pulled a reading rainbow. What does it mean to pull a reading rainbow? Mike. Mike. Where you film just a book, but you move the picture slowly in front of the camera to, as if it was moving. A good answer, a wrong answer. Ryan? Ryan. Uh, jerk off on camera. Don't That's accuse awful. LeVar Burton of yeah. that. No, pulling a reading rainbow is he had a five-minute pitch, and then at the end of the pitch, he like it gets to like when they're going to do the sting, and he's like, and if you... If you want to find out what happens at the end of the sting, give me money and make this movie. <laughs> so he like Shahrazaded them. I won't tell you the end until I get what I want. I love it. When evading Charles Durning, Hooker runs through a large homeless encampment. What were these encampments ca- encampments called, and why were they called that? Mike. Oh, Ryan. I heard Mike. Hoovervilles. Hoovervilles. Why were they called Hoovervilles? Because President Herbert Hoover. Was the president during the Great Depression? He real sucked. Yeah, basically he real sucked. Ba- <laughs> he real sucked. He was like a, like a Hoover. He sucked like a Hoover. He sucked like a Hoover. Well, honestly, get his number. Am I right? That is the end of trivia. When we come back, time to get more in depth on just one question. How could a script be this good and this bad at the same time? Does the sting teach us that what we're teach us what we're really looking for in a screenplay, or? Is it relying extremely heavily on the charm of its two leading actors? Mike? Not to... You cannot take anything away from the charm of its two leading actors. They're the two most charming people who've ever lived. If you do, they're just going to find a way to take it back. Don't even try. Yeah, they'll they'll con you for worse, and then you're going to be sitting there with none of your Now we have more of your steam than we ever did before. (laughs) Shit! I, I think... And it's in this conversation, think about the... Not this specific one, but throughout the show. Uh... That the convolutedness of the script is part of its strengths. Like, it's a feature, not a bug. And I think that other people would do worse, but if this Uvora is Patrick Wilson, right? If you take anybody out, what? how good will it be? I think even with two Patrick Wilsons, uh, Patrick Wilson Patrick and Patrick Wilson Warburton. And 
Patrick Wilson. <laughs> uh, the Sting this Three is still a fun movie to watch because the screen is the screenplay is it zips. Do you agree, Ryan, that it is at times an exceptional screenplay, but then it is other times kind of creaky and weird? I uh, before today, so I always read Ebert's review. Ebert, by the way, was four stars. Uh, before we do a show, and I've started reading Pauline Kael's reviews because we're in 1973, so those are available to me. And uh, Ebert said this was amazing. I'm. It's so awesome to see a movie about crime. That isn't all blood and guts, but is like fun and humorous. Yeah, right? like we don't know how to kill people. <laughs> and Pauline Kale is like uh, a lot of people love Newman and Redford. I don't. So, and yeah. I wonder if he gave a thumbs down audience. Yeah, sorry. The this and he did like a mental raspberry. Means thumbs down. Um, if you don't, if you're not into Newman and Redford then I think this movie is going to be rough for you. If you're not into Newman and Redford, I think your life is going to yeah, be rough for what's you. Wrong like, with I don't what understand. salad dressing do you even use? <laughs> yeah, uh, like this movie would be one of the movies I would show you to get you into these two guys. And so sure. you're not going to like them from this. There's like 120 years of movies. I have to pick one for, to, get, like, to show you the breadth of all 120 years. It might be The Sting. you know. And we'll go from there. Well, I'll show, I'm going to show you some earlier arty ones, some... Uh, newer blockbusters, but we'll go from there after the sting. And so, Birth of the Nation, Ryan, is that what you're going to show? A- absolutely. That's my number two, three, and four. Let's watch it three more times until you are into this movie. But you mean both problematic Birth of a Nations, right? The one from way back when with Griffith, and then the new one that got slammed because that director's fucked up. I don't. I didn't look too much into the second Birth of a Nations problematic stuff. Let's yeah. not get into it now. Um, <laughs> but like uh, in so many ways. This movie is uh, this like buzzword that I keep using on the show, undeniable. And yeah. I think that if you're fighting to get like, look, I honestly could see this being outside of Westworld, the lowest movie on our list at the end of the season. Mm. Not the worst, the lowest. And it's because it do- it didn't transform us like right. so many other movies from 1973 are going to. But to say like, well, this is just bullshit means that you're not paying attention and you're you're. Your arms are folded and your hipster right. shit is coming out. You went out. in angry and right. stayed mad. One thing that I think is tough for I, it's tough to recreate the first experience of seeing this movie, and I don't. I feel like rewatching it is rewarding, but the magic is kind of gone. Like when you know from the beginning why Robert Redford is acting the way, why Hooker is acting the way he's acting in all his scenes. Because the first time you watch it, you're like, so wait, is Hooker? Is he actually betraying? Uh, Gondorf the whole time or is he not like even though you hear them planning this stuff when Redford gets in the same room as Lonigan when Hooker and Lonigan are talking it seems kind of like Redford is legitimately turning on Gondorf and then so I feel like a little bit of that tension when you have already seen the movie is drained from it and it's just a different experience I don't know I I think yeah as solidly rewatchable as you might think my advice to somebody like that is not to then think about, like, what is this movie saying about class the second time you watch or race the second time you watch? But instead, instead of watching Redford and Newman, watch Eileen Brennan, who is doing so much with so little. Uh, or um, not Kid Twist, but who's the who's the kid with the broken nose oh, who yeah. really wants to fight for Luther? Who we think, I assumed, was going to blow up the whole thing. Yeah. I really thought but- he was going to ruin it all. Watch uh, those Jack perfor- Cahoe or the the eerie kid, the eerie, eerie kid, kid uh, yeah. the eerie 
Indiana, not Erie. Erie, like, Indiana, Erie, Indiana. <laughs> uh, watch those performances, and they have to dance out of the spotlight because of what Newman and Redford hog. Right. You know, not like... <laughs> not shitting on them like they deserve all that spotlight but there is no spotlight left for them and so one scene that always sticks out is brennan's flirting with charles durning uh-huh. like oh i've never heard of gondorf and then changing <laughs> from uh madam to and then shutting the door and then walking down the hall with all those beers into con artist you know part of the family part of the group right. like these are things with no dialogue that these people are really really pulling off you know what that sound means? We are going to the speed round. As uh, the person Ryan just brought up, Pauline Kael, the New York Times, writes that the film's absence of women really is felt as a lack in this movie. Do we, the three dude bros, agree that there is an absence of women in this movie? And do we have a problem with how women are portrayed, Mike? It's. I do think it's unfortunate, looking at it 50 years later, uh, is that the right math, that the women in here are hookers or assassins. And are all she, like like the the scene Ryan said. This actress is injecting so much into this character that the script is not giving her. You you give Patrick Wilson that role, it's going to be so much weaker, and and then I guess less <laughs> women as well. But it yeah, I think I think there's a dearth of women, and it's what the kind of thing where I'm like, is it the '70s? So we have to make peace with that. But it is they're they're showing that they're 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 whores or they're killers, man. That's all they are in this movie. I what think do you it, think, Ryan? It's fine. Uh, there's two women. Shoot one of them in the forehead. <laughs> in hilarious 1973 blood action. And there's one black guy. Throw him out a window. Like, that's... I, d- I do have to say, I think she is right. But I th- I do think her problem is with 73. Because... And I would love to hear... I'm, and I know I will from you, Ryan. Like, her or other reviews of some of the other movies. Because 73 is a problematic year. This is, Hollywood looks at feminism and went, Fuck we have to you. kind of reject this <laughs> in a very obvious way. And it the way they do it is a lot of, like, physical violence and a lot of just disturbing stuff. And so... This movie, yes, a lady gets shot in the head. And yes, most of the other women are prostitutes. But I don't know. I, I just think that her issue is that the fact that 73 was having a really bad year in terms of Plus, how women were portrayed. We have the power of hindsight. So uh, she might have written in that paragraph afterward. Be like, um, re- you know, respect women in your films. Be like Woody Allen or Bernardo Bertolucci and just <laughs> really appreciate women. In 1983, The Sting 2 came out with Jackie Gleason replacing Paul Newman and Mac Davis replacing Robert Redford. It has a 0% chance on Rotten Tomatoes. So did we fuck up by not covering it in our 1983 season? Now, Mike, (laughs) name some of the movies we watched in our 1983 season. I I honestly couldn't. Die Hard, probably. Child's Play. We haven't done 83 yet, have we? We haven't done an 83 season, no. I wrote that in the future. We fucked up (laughs) because we will not cover The Sting 2. Are you Ryan, are you sure that we're definitely not going to cover The Sting 2 in our 1983 season? I'm so excited to see the furthering adventures of Mac Davis and Jackie Gleason, but yeah. I can almost guarantee that if we move 1983 to 64 movies, we will not be covering The Sting 2. <laughs> it has a 0%. So there's like nobody out there that's protecting this movie yeah. at all. We need a reverse uh, review bombing. Ryan, how much better would this movie have been if it starred the lead singer of The Police and or WCW superstar Sting? Oof. Uh, now, Sting was in Dune, yes? Yeah, yes, he, he was. was. 
So we've seen a little the bit. Singer of, Sting was in Dune. We've seen a little bit of his acting. The WCW superstar. I don't. Greg, do you know about his acting talent? Well, he's very good at being Sting. The 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 thing that connects it oddly to this movie uh, is Sting got really big when he completely rebranded his character to look like the character of the Crow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how is that connected to 1973? There are a couple of Bruce Lee movies in 1973, including Enter the Dragon, which is the one he died making, or the last one that came out. Yes. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Uh, after Tootsie, Dog Day Afternoon, The Sting, and this season's upcoming sisters, should this just become a Charles Durning podcast, Ryan? Should we? I mean, we could just watch Durning movies. Yeah, dude. Called the Durning Derby, the Durning Dudes new podcast. Is he is he giving us anything like? Do we get do we get shades of Durning? Do we get different Durnings? Do we get or are we always getting the same damn Durning? <laughs> I think he's a great character actor, and you know what you're gonna get from Durning. You know what though? Like, do you guys think that uh, obesity always plays into it? You know, like he's never gonna win. He's always like downtrodden. Uh, maybe yeah. not. In Tootsie, like, he sort of laughed at, like, oh, you really think that you could have a romance? Uh, Dog Day is probably the one that we liked him the most because he was like, hey, man, I'm just trying to do my job. Like, right. Yeah, he's like, this whole situation's wild. I don't know what to do. In um, The Sting, he's like, well, no, I have to prove how big my penis is, so I have mm-hmm. to find this guy. I have to leave my city, my jurisdiction, in order to go find him. Yeah, what he's and doing it does not work is out crazy. Well for- <laughs> I know he's a dirty cop, but, like... Keep that your All right. When we come back, it's time to give out some awards. Awards given only to the great, but not given, earned. Earned by titans of the screen. Let's start with pound for pound performance. Mike, who do you think delivers our greatest P for P? I, I try not to do this. But I think, to use a word Ryan has coined, undeniable. The layers of acting Robert Redford is doing of, I'm Robert Redford being hooker. I'm Robert Redford being hooker trying to trick somebody right now. I'm Robert Redford being hooker trying to trick somebody, trying to trick the audience so they don't know who I'm actually trying to trick right now. (laughs) Now, the fact that he says all of that before every line, is that weird for you? It was weird they left that in there. It added an hour and a half to the movie that maybe we could cut out. But Mike, it's, this it's is his shifting eyes, man. Is like his fake nervous. You get to see his fake nervous versus his real nervous as Hooker. Like it's wild. This is Robbie Red's only nomination for Best Actor, and a lot of people say it's a tragedy he didn't get it. Would you go that far? Should he have won the Oscar for Best Actor in '73? Uh, without knowing who else he's up against, yes, everybody Definitely. else could die. Wait, what about Best Supporting Actor for Winter Soldier? He should have won it for <laughs> that. He was Alexander Pierce is one of our greatest villains. <laughs> my, Ryan, uh, who's got your P for P? Uh, somebody different, but real quick, my Redford moment of the week is um, Gondorf knows that Charles Durning is out for Redford for counterfeit money, and he announces, but he Redford annou- or uh, Newman announces it to the group. Like, yeah. hey, does anybody know who <laughs> might be spreading counterfeit money? <laughs> and the way Redford's eyes dart around, like, yeah, who <laughs> could <laughs> it be, guys? <laughs> Wait, what? what? Huh? <laughs> This Who is the person is I'm that? hearing about this, Count- not being the person fit? that did it. Am I saying that correctly? <laughs> uh, we're dealing with two all-timers here. Um, I believe that we call them The Verdict and Three Days of the Condor, but I am going to nominate Jaws because I think that his 
Quint. Feeling of who he is and who he should be in any room. And when that's challenged. Mm, And then when you watch his face of like, should I cause violence because it was challenged? Or should I sit and wait? And his grabbing of the gin of drunken Gondorf's gin. Yeah. uh, Or um, like anytime. And like he's already said, don't call me by a different name than Lonigan or I will kill you. But like he's just constantly looking around as this small, small child. Like he finds the uh, gross babiness of being such a bully. And it's it's almost always in his face. It's literally never in the script. It's a great argument, probably better than Mike's argument, but I agree with Mike's argument, Ouch. so I choose to believe that. Also, the true answer is Newman, so. That's the actually the answer I have written down here, yeah. but I'm only going to choose one of the ones that you selected. Um, okay, sometimes the movies of 73 cause us to cringe. Mike, what caused you to cringe? I... I th- even my saying it's cringe is cringy, but I do think it's sex workers on a carousel because it feels like, look at them. <laughs> They're children. All they want to do is make money on their backs or dance around in a little kid's toy. And I was like, come on, movie. Shit. Can't we give them anything else to do? I think some of that you might have been reading into it, yeah. Mike. I think Mike has some issues. Ryan, what do you With think? With the movie. <laughs> <laughs> what made you cringe, Ryan? Uh, w- the, the moment that I cringe, which is a little bit like... You know, watching in 2023, can we be woker? But also from a screenplay standpoint is we have been built up to believe that Salino or Salerno is this guy with the silencer. Mm-hmm. And then he plugs a woman in the forehead. Right and, in the forehead. And then he looks at Robert Redford and he's like, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> I got paid to protect you. We should go run down the alleyway. And it's not only is it taking out one of two women in the script – but it's also the cheesiest twist. Like, yeah. it's not even a manly twist. And it's the a movie's like at such pains to be like, well, she had to wait until this point. Did she? No. She right. had a lot of access no. to this dude. <laughs> this, is, this is the movie trying to move so fast that we don't notice that what the fuck is happening? On a, there is no part of this movie that if you think about for even a couple seconds isn't like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of why the pacing is, is breakneck. Um, I am going to give that one to Ryan because that was sloppy. Ryan, what is the signature director's moment from this movie? So comparing this to, I've seen a couple of Hill movies. Uh, Slapshot is the one I can think of right now. And Slapshot's he, so much weirder than people fucking remember, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's not a classic Adam Sandler sports comedy. It's no. a strange movie. Um, but... He d- he's never mentioned in any of these like new Hollywood lists, right? Yeah. And I think that is because he's a little Yalman, as we say, like a little work for hire. Um, I think that the moment that really defines this movie as far as like his decision making goes is the moment we talked about earlier, where instead of starting a montage because it's silent, he starts a silent scene. And that's the haircut. I'm going to get my fingernails done. Um, it just like... Uh, shit, I forgot to do this, and so now I'm going to put this in the movie right when we need a couple of gags. Mm-hmm. And Redford is, we, you know, he can be like creepy and leery on this one particular, um, uh, what do you call it, manicurist. Esthetician. So, yeah, that's the one that I would say. This guy's name is the director, George Roy Hill. Does that uh-huh. means he's the king of the hill? Yes. Mike, what was your signature king of the hill moment? Uh, I think it's when Cotton was 
bouncing up and down, yelling at Hank about something. Is anyone surprised that <laughs> Michael go right for Cotton? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, not it's just the character all. I relate to the most. It's uh, I'm gonna say the way he transitions from not scenes but chapters of like the and it's the way he ends the movie of like and we just zoom in and so there's nothing black but the pinhole and just like over and over again he's like. Do there's you all get sorts what of wipes doing? you could use on this thing. It's old timey, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys both went for the old timey, which he was definitely trying very hard to do. I'm going to give it to Ryan with his like silent film scene, and uh, then over the cre- over the end credits, Flo Rida sang the song "It's Old Timey Bitches." <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Okay, we are going to get into the special awards now, Ryan. The awards that have been submitted just for this. There are a lot of characters in this movie, Ryan. You may have realized that if you could delete one of them which character do you think this movie could do or without guys i love don't say one of the ladies ryan (laughs) (laughs) i love um is it elaine what is it uh gondorf's girlfriend so much in this movie billy billy but it has to be loretta it's such a fucking tacked on plot twist of the (laughs) people trying to kill hooker implanted a restaurant worker <laughs> months before on the off chance that he would go in there and she works as the, as a waitress like all night so that he will perhaps hit on her and then get to go home with him but only just to establish that like they know each other so that she can betray him in broad daylight in an alley now we have fucked each other and you're asleep in my bed which seems like the perfect time to kill you i will not Too i will instead wait could have seen him go in there <laughs> i wish that there were so many other women that could have had bigger parts here uh loretta is my answer all right very good what do you say mike who uh, who could we have deleted we mentioned him a few s- moments ago and he's very connected to loretta i think uh even dumber is the silent assassin assassin uh the guy we've been seeing from his pov for a while not uh, salino not salino salerno salerno yeah i think we could get rid of salerno the one that kills her right the one who kills her and we he kills the guy who's chasing Hooker. I'm gonna go with just, I'm gonna go with that one. If if somebody shoots your girlfriend in the head or just a woman that you've like been intimate with and then goes, She was bad, do you right away go like, Yeah, that must be true? Bro code, yes. <laughs> yeah, dude, we have to. It does feel like a bro code moment. It's like you get rid of one woman, you're like, Oh, and she was a betrayer, of course. Also, so I'm gonna that- go- Let's be clear that uh, Hooker's in love with Gondorf, and he is just fucking Loretta so he doesn't have to say that he's gay. Yeah. The Dom and Brian conundrum. I am going with uh, the Assassin's Assassin. I guess the unnamed Assassin's Assassin. Okay, I'm writing that movie now, The Assassin's Assassin. (laughs) The Assassin's Assassin. All right, Mike. This movie features many wonderful costumes, but what is the best fit of the film? There's I mean, I'd say worst fit is hard, right? Because like everyone looks incredible. Honestly, yeah, worst dude. fit would there, be harder. I mean, there are some bad fits that go all the way back around to being cool, especially if they're worn by one of the lead gentlemen. There's a moment when, and Redford, it's hard for him to look bad, but when he is like head to toe, and you can get too matchy matchy, but he pulls it off mm-hmm. like gray slacks, gray jacket, gray vest, gray fedora, and he looks so fucking good. And I want to dress like that all of the time. Yeah. Let's bring back ragtime, boys. <laughs> I, did you say Greg time? I'm shocked, Mike, that you didn't go with a uh, kid twist because 
That just yeah, seems it's like, almost like pick a random kid twist scene yeah. and a random still from it. That is the best fit in the entire movie. And if Kid Twist heard you say anything else, he'd probably con you out of everything you're worth. <laughs> Ryan, is yours some sort of Kid Twist outfit? It isn't actually. Um, <laughs> I just wrote down chocolate suit, and what this means is chocolate weird. suit. <laughs> Good reference, Greg. I love Thanks. it. What is that? Uh, the kids are really into internet videos now, so I just thought I'd reference one of the good ones. Is that a meme? That is a meme. That's meme culture. I'm a meme lord. Uh, Redford gets the money, goes right to, in the very, very beginning, and we all know he's going to blow it, but right when he's like dancing like a cartoon character, he puts on this like dark brown, yeah, right. just yeah, yeah. delicious looking chocolate suit, and he'll turn yeah. a corner and just do his little step. That's the one, and it's like he hasn't like found out about the world yet. He, I guess he's got like some sort of scam with the guy that runs the roulette table, and the guy's supposed to cheat for him. Right. But you have to know that if you walk in and put down $3,000, the guy can't just let you win yeah, that and then walk out of there. Idiot. Jeez Louise. Yeah, uh, Chocolate Suit winning all the awards again. Uh, now, a segment that I would never forget. It's your 9-11. Recommend it. No, my 9-11 was 9-11, okay? I got yelled what? at by my dad, remember? I had dibs. <laughs> Did you get yelled at by somebody while you were sleeping? That's the, the most worst traumatic way to be yelled at. The worst thing to happen on that day. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Um, I still haven't recovered fully. Uh, Mike, what yeah. do you recommend? It's one of these things where there's such a good chance, because I love this movie so much that I've probably recommended before, but I couldn't get it out of my head, and it clearly would not exist without the sting. But Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom. I do think it's his most underwatched movie, but it is Mark Ruffalo and Adrian Brody as con men around the world. And it is so fucking fun and charming and zippy, and Rachel Weiss is in it, and she's amazing. Like, and is cl- You have definitely recommended this before, but I have not watched it, so well, I have to allow that, it. See, it's your fault. Yeah. And this is before Mark Ruffalo went into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and before Adrian Brody went into the Pianist Cinematic Universe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just All right. Awesome movies. Brothers Bloom, check it out. Ryan, what do you say? Uh, I love the idea of Common as the stars of the movie. My first thought was Matchstick Men, but I really did recommend that very recently. <laughs> so uh, I started thinking harder, went to our shared Hilton hotel room, thought as hard as possible and i want to recommend a movie from 1990 i want to say Ew, uh, called the grifters which is about uh three people who all think that everything is going to work out for them like they're in this thing like they yeah. are movie characters and it doesn't <laughs> uh in the very beginning of the movie john cusack who is the star Ooh. and one of the titular grifters um tries to pull a thing where he's like hey give me change for this 20 and then oh, throws yeah. down a one and the he oldest gets, hustle there is yeah and he gets busted immediately by the bartender and the bartender kicks the living <laughs> shit out of him and so he's just about to die for the rest of the movie uh then his mom pops up played by angelica houston uh shit. if you watch the kind of porn that mike likes john cusack and angelica houston sort of have a thing together that you might notice annette benning plays the girlfriend uh, this is a fantastic movie. All right. Wow. Two right. very solid recommendations. The one I'm going to recommend is another 73 movie that we didn't get a, we're not going to get a chance to do a show about. I don't think uh, it's not in the bracket and it's day of the Jackal. And the reason is it reminds me very much of how this movie 
um, Day of Jackal and uh, The Sting both do a thing where they show the audience a lot of what's going on, but then just withhold some elements. So the audience is like kind of in on it, but kind of still surprised. And that mix of like, ooh, I'm I'm doing the con, but also like, whoa, wait, what's going on now? And then figuring out like, okay, that's how it's all going to come together. There's so much of that in Day of the Jackal. And the pacing is the same, which is it just like, here we go. It's We're like off to the races now and it never it never slows down. Uh, so Day of the Jackal. But I'm going to give the point to uh, Mike for the Brothers Bloom because i, I got to watch the Brothers Bloom. I've got to do it. that. And he didn't mention incest porn, so he should probably get the and point. And he did not yeah. mention incest porn. He also didn't mention Angelica Houston, but she was part of that other thing. So yeah, uh, when was. we come back, I'm going to tally up the scores and to tell you who won the show for this evening. And we're going to talk about, even though it has been repeatedly... <laughs> stated how we think this movie is going to do in the bracket well ryan you got 43 points but that's nothing compared to mike's 46 points oh what the fuck you you created the greatest con of all time you beat ryan in a game that had a trivia segment that honestly i don't know ryan if you've ever lost a game that had a trivia segment here's but mike you did it bud the con started what i call the great escapade Five years ago, when I started yes. watching movies very quote unquote poorly, mm-hmm. to lure Ryan in, knowing that one day we would do the sting. <laughs> I've had uh, your good. number since day one, my friend. Can I just point out? And no, Mike, good victory, really. You deserve it totally, hundred percent for sure. Uh, I'm listening to your words, and not your tone. That your recommendation <laughs> is uh, the Brothers Bloom, and then when Greg announces the winner, what do you do? But quote. One of the stars' most famous quotes from the Brothers Bloom, which is brat brat. Oh, you, is no. that Adrian Brody? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite character of his. I'm going to have to dock you a couple points, Mike. I'm a Brody still boy. Come out. You're still going to come out the winner as one of the Brody boys. At the top of the show, we kind of, as a focus of the show, we talked the whole time about like whether we thought this had what it takes to actually be a movie of the year. How did, did your opinion of the movie change at all? And, and we kind of thought that it wasn't going to do great in the bracket. Has that changed? for anybody yet this will be the second worst movie in the bracket second lowest rate to so ryan saying no because that's what he said earlier <laughs> no right anything change for you mike but it, if, it, I, if if like if you had to say like uh hey i'm going to red box tonight right you're oh, doing yeah. 1973 what should i get it's the sting for sure yes i, I think my opinion deepened if that to say like <laughs> it, it was already positive that's a way to got, say something without saying anything it got even better and but no, it's not going to do well in the bracket. It's yeah. And so if if part of it is always at least a dash, what does it say about 1973? And it's so so old timey and trying to say so much about old Hollywood, that makes it really hard to stand out as a 1973 film. Yeah, I I just I I feel like. I had the same reaction you did, Mike, which is that my appreciation of it deepened. It's a little bit better than I thought coming into it, but it didn't really like move the needle a ton in terms of like I think it's going to do better, like. I'll say straight up, Westworld has some good ideas, but is a bad movie. This movie is full of good ideas and is a good movie. It's ju- it's just I don't know. It still doesn't quite have um, that movie of the year it's something that little something. The um, Genesis Quad. I, I think that we sort of fucked ourselves by, or maybe it's good that we got these first two movies out of the way. Of like, here's like the dumbest of or the lowest budget of 1973 what it has to offer, and then second week is like. Here's what people were entertained by, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and now we're about to dive into like what the new Hollywood actually means. That real, real, that and real, we got real. A lot of 
great movies coming up. The Long Goodbye, Mean Streets, Paper Moon. Paper Moon. Another con movie? Maybe, Greg. Who knows? Robin Hood, Serpico. Another con movie? We've got our world-famous tweeners. And more than anything else, we've got brotherly love for one another. And we've also got it for you, our studio audience, sitting silently and nodding in total agreement without making any noise. But that's all we've got for this show. We will see you next week. But until then, hey, do me a favor, would you? Keep watching them movies. <laughs> <laughs>